Okay, can Do you... Do you have written down what questions you're going to ask me? Yeah, I have questions written down. Okay, can I you... I hope I have answers. <laughs> okay. I'm testing the sound. I need to make sure that I get it loud enough. Do you know what time it is right now? 7 o'clock, 7 p.m. Okay, so first, could you start by just saying your name? My name is Victor Thompson. I am 81 going 82. I live in Far Rockaway, Queens, New York. Okay. And where did you grow up? Barbados. So let's rewind a bit. Okay, a lot. I grew up about nine hours away from both sets of my grandparents. My dad's parents live in Far Rockaway, Queens, New York, and I'd only see them once a year. Every Christmas school break, my dad would pack me and my brothers into the car and drive up to NYC. Only for a few days, enough time for us to have Christmas Eve back at home in North Carolina. We'd talk on the phone on birthdays until I got antsy, you know, as kids do, to get back to the celebration. I really don't remember much of that time, and to be honest, I didn't feel a close connection with that side of the family. We lost my grandmother my freshman year of college to a diabetes-related coma. A lot of my memories of her are connected to her health and how that limited how engaged she could be with us as energetic kids. The funniest memory I have is actually of her being super impressed by me rapping to the Black Eyed Peas. It pains me as an adult to have missed my chance to truly know her, Jenny Adele Thompson. Over the years, I have become closer with my grandfather, Victor. He came to my college graduation, and I got to show him the university radio station where I was a disc jockey. As I traveled to New York City for work in my early 20s, I'd find time to make a pit stop at his house before heading to JFK. Side note for context, I've spent most of my career focusing on sustainability and pop culture through music festivals and multimedia campaigns. Alright, now we're up to date. I'm 27 and live in Brooklyn, so I regularly get to visit him now. He doesn't leave the house much anymore because of the pandemic, so we usually just watch a movie or talk over the news before sharing a home-cooked meal. I'm so thankful for COVID testing access in the city. It's what has allowed me to spend hours at his home talking about his lifestyle choices and what behaviors he still carries with him from Barbados. Until recently, I didn't know how much I have in common with my grandpa. I'd always felt like the weirdo of my family for being fascinated by waste and low-impact living. But little did I know, he's been growing his own food and composting in his backyard in Far Rockaway for decades. I'm Alexandra Thompson, and you're listening to Heirloomed, sustainability advice from our elders to reconnect this modern era with our roots. You'll hear snippets of wisdom from my grandparents, who have larger-than-life experiences to share, and every now and then, bonus submissions from yours. In this episode, we're talking to my paternal grandfather, Victor, about growing up in Barbados, his immigration story, and his thoughts on climate change. Buckle up. It's a journey. Oh, when I first left Barbados for London, we came by ship, yeah. Yeah. We came by boat. It took us 21 days at sea. Ask, yeah. 21 days at sea. 
Can you tell us about Barbados? Well, Barbados is a, is a very beautiful island and um, sunshine all the year round. Lovely people. Can you remember what like a typical day was like in Barbados? Well, we had to get up early in the morning. We all we all had chores, really. So even before we went to school, we had to do those chores. So you get up in the morning, you do whatever chores you have to do. Then you get ready for school. You go to school, you come home in the evenings after school. You still have chores to do because we had um, we had animals. We had um, we had a donkey. We had sheep, we had goats, we had um, pigs. So all those things had, had to be taken care of when you come home from school. Would you say that you lived like um, on a farm? No, it's not a farm, but it's just things that people have. Yeah, you had land, so therefore you have all these animals. Most people have something, like a sheep or goat or something, where we lived anyway. Do you miss having animals? I, I, I do. I do. I'm just imagining a goat in the backyard and say, yeah. <laughs> Having the goat, and you, and you, know, you have the goats, you milk the goats, you, um, you milk the sheep, mm -hmm. have chickens, yeah. Have you noticed a difference, like living in the U.S. with like how you like are supposed to buy, buy, buy everything here? Has anything really stood out to you in comparison to Barbados with like more of the island, slower living, like do-it-yourself? Well, I think because Barbados is a small place that um, Barbados doesn't have as many supermarkets like here. So you got here in New York, you have a ton of supermarkets all over the place, and um, you can you can have a look at the circulars and see which supermarkets are selling things cheaper than the other, right? Do you like um, just like being able to go to the store and buy whatever you want, or do you sometimes miss like how like maybe simpler it was in Barbados or? Like less money? You can get more or less everything fresh. And we, we, we used to grow our own. We had land. We grew up what we wanted. Potatoes and yam and uh, avocados, all those things we had. We grew. So it was all fresh in Barbados. No, nothing beats going into your own garden and um, get your old stuff when you want it fresh. Yeah. What's your family like? Yes, I have, um, let me see, five brothers and six sisters. There were 11 of us. And my mother was a hard-working woman. She worked at, um, as a maid at a place called Paradise Beach Club. And my father worked as a stevedore laborer. When you lived in Barbados, what was your job? What did you do? I worked, when I left finished high school, I applied to the police force. Yeah, I only spent five years in the police force only, and then I immigrated to London. Well, I'll tell you a story. Yeah. While I was in the... you recording this or no? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While I was in Barbados in the police force, my wife's father was a policeman as well. Mm -hmm. And he did not want a policeman dating his daughter. Oh. Because policemen had bad reputations mm -hmm. that wherever they go, they had girlfriends mm -hmm. or women. Yes, yeah. maybe. So he shipped her off to England from me. Oh, wow. And I followed her there. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't like it either. <laughs> Happily ever after. And Happily ever right? Of course, yes. My wife was a wonderful, wonderful person. We were married for 53 years. And um, we had three lovely kids. How did you travel from Barbados to London? Did you take a boat? Or did you fly? How did y'all move? 
Oh, when I first left Barbados for London, we came by ship, yeah. Yeah. We came by boat. It took us 21 days That's at sea. Yeah. 21 days at sea. <laughs> what did you do on the boat for that long? It wasn't much to do. It wasn't like, it wasn't like a cruise ship. They have cargo and stuff like that, yeah. So I didn't do a lot. So what part of England did you live in? I live in North London. Did you miss other people from the Caribbean? Like, I know the culture in London is not necessarily the same culture in the Caribbean. It was fortunate for us, when we went to London, um, the, uh, people were from the Caribbean were, um, were immigrating to um, England in, in, in the 50s, early 50s. So even though then when we went over there, there were a lot of um, blacks over there, even on their own houses. Yeah, so things changed when we were, since we went over there. Let's say, I would say one thing, um, racism in, in London at the time, it was subtle. It wasn't wide openly here to tell you, well, you know, you're black, you, you can't go here, we don't want you here, that kind of stuff. But it was subtle, you know, they'll say things that um, not direct. But um, I never had a problem. No, I never had a problem. I remember when Basil went to school for the first time. When he went to school, he was the only black kid in the school. And with his hair, you know, the young kids there, he was like, um, they just were curious because they've never seen a black kid in the school there with them. But um, so he was, um, he was always the center of attention. And were there more by the time that Cheryl and, and, and Dad got there, or are they still they were the only ones? Not a lot, not a lot, because the street where we lived, where we were living on, we were the only black family on that street. Were there any, like, Caribbean restaurants or anything that you could go to in London? Um, not where we live. We live, like, we call it in the suburbs anywhere. So you have to go into... Um, um, places that um, we live in North London, so if you want to have all these things, you have to go to Southwest London, okay. a place called Brixton. You may, Brixton is the place where a lot of West Indians lived. Okay. Yeah, and then they have all those West Indian things you can get. Yeah. Do you remember much about Barbados and London? Like, do you remember if they were? Did you think they were similar to each other, or were they different? No, completely different. The climate was different. The, the climate was different. It rained. It rained. You leave work. You leave to go to work in the mornings, and when you come home in the evening, it's raining. Next morning, you get up to go to work. It's still raining. So therefore, you always have to have an umbrella with you. I had allergies from London. I had allergies over in London. They call the allergy. You call it. Um, we call it over in London. They call it hair fever. Here, anybody talk about hair fever? Same thing like here. But. Um, it was, I believe it's the climate, because when I was in London, I had every summer or so-called summer, I would get all the allergies, and yeah. you find that um, it got on your chest and you'd be wheezing. I used to have to get an injection every summer, just for the summer, so that the, um, I wouldn't have all the wheezing. And since I came to this country, it, um, it got better. Do you think it was like, the pollen or like what about the climate do you think? My allergy was grass. Well, I used to play sports. I play cricket and it's all green, like baseball green. Do you have like a favorite a favorite climate or like I guess maybe the beach is your favorite climate? Not not here. Not yeah. the beach here. No, when I was in Barbados, um, the beach, we go to the beach every day. How is the um, 
beach in Barbados different from the beach here? The water is always warm and blue. And you can always see, um, if you dive into the water, you can see, you can see without goggles anyway. Clear, yeah, that's right, yeah. Do you know if anything, if like climate change is affecting Barbados now because it is an island? It is because they had something like like um, sea moss. Uh -huh. Nobody knew where that came from and it affected all the beaches for um, even today. And they had to close a lot of beaches down because all this thing, all this moss came into the shore and it was thick, thick, thick. Wow. And they had to close the beaches. Have you noticed um, any personal changes over the years like related to climate? Like even like living in like Barbados versus London versus here? Um, I never heard about climate change when I was living in London mm -hmm. or in Barbados. It's only since I came to this country that people start talking about climate change. The weather now is unpredictable, so you don't know. We used to have, when I, when I lived in London, I think we used to have spring, summer, autumn and winter. And now you don't know what, which one you're going to have because of climate change. I know one thing that I've always thought is interesting is that you live on the, really close to the water here. And like with, when the storms come through, the flooding sometimes can be bad, right? It could be bad, yeah. Um, whenever, the, whenever the tide comes in, the street, the water comes in and um, for like maybe 10 or 15 minutes and then if the tide goes back, the water goes back. Yeah, I think those are just my biggest questions. I just wanted to get to know you and your story more and then talk to you about like the garden and climate change. Um, do you have anything else you'd want to say or share? I would say that it would take me, what you can, what you can do here in America compared with London, what Financially, what you can gain in this country in 10 years, it probably take you 20 years in England, England to, um, to achieve that. Is that why you moved to the U.S.? I moved to the U.S. because it looked like the job, like the, having jobs for the kids when they grow up would be more difficult. And I only came to this country because of the, of the children anyway, and um, they all are happy that they're here. Yeah, I, you know, I asked them if they want to, if they ever go about there just for vacation, but they never live there again because there are more opportunities here than there are over there. When you have a good parents who wants to do best for their kids, they, I mean, I gave up, I left the post office. Um, um, their mother um, left the nursing over there, came over here. So everything that, that has happened over here is because of the kids. If we don't have any kids, we won't be probably still living over there. Yeah. You, do you think you'd be in London or Barbados if you didn't have any kids? Well, I said I think I'd still be in London. And to be honest, I never have any liking for America. Never. I wanted to go to Canada. Why did you want to go to Canada? Because um, you know, I, I guess that a lot of a lot of stuff you see on TV, you think about the things that you used to say that happens here. You have to have five and six locks on your door because um, people break in and, and you get mugged on the street, that kind of stuff like that. Canada is more like, like England. The only thing, just like, the only thing about Canada is that they have um, more snow than in New York. That's kind of, I've also been thinking <clears throat> about Canada recently, but it is much more snowier. 
Yeah, when, it, my, when my brother tells me that he's still digging out snow, I said, what? <laughs> we have the sun over here. Yeah, I like the, I like, I like the weather being hot. Yeah, I don't, I don't like the cold, period. Yeah, me too. I like to feel like the sun on my skin. Right. Yeah. Gives me more energy. Yeah. Well, thank you for letting me record you and ask you questions. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> now that you've gotten to meet my grandpa, I thought I'd provide some context by looping in my dad. He's actually a big part of the inspiration for this podcast. My parents work the traditional nine to five to provide our family with financial stability. My dad's career, ironically in admissions engineering, moved us away from both sets of my grandparents. In that pursuit for a better life, my parents, unintentionally of course, disconnected us physically from family, and that created literal and figurative space between us. Don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for my upbringing, but I think it's really important to have this conversation. Hey, Dad. Are you there? Yeah. Hey, sweetie. So I guess if you could just start by doing like an intro of who you are. My name is Alan Thompson. I am 52 years old and I currently live in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Okay. And um, tell me a bit about how... Um, I don't know what I want to ask first. <laughs> um, Tell me about um, how you got to North Carolina. Where where have all the places that you've lived? So I was born in England, in London, England. My parents are from Barbados. And uh, at that time in the 60s, if you lived in Barbados and you wanted to look for an opportunity, you ended up either, either moving to England or to Canada. Uh, my parents decided to move to England. And after a period of time uh, living in England, my dad was a postman, uh, my mom was a nurse, and after a period of time living in England, they decided to look for another opportunity. And um, when you're in England looking for an opportunity, you move to either America or Canada. And so they chose to uh, move the family to America, and from there they went to, um, to New York City. So I basically grew up uh, grade school in New York City. Uh, public schools during the 80s, pretty rough time, and um, went to college in Buffalo, New York, uh, because that was the furthest place that you could go in New York and still pay in-state tuition and, you know, after I graduated high school. So eventually, um, after graduating college in Buffalo, I got a job in Jamestown, New York, uh, which was about an hour south of, uh, hour south of Buffalo, and worked there for about five years. And then eventually, uh, your mother and I got tired of the weather, tired of the snow and the winters in uh, Western New York, and uh, we decided to uh, move to North Carolina in 1997. And uh, I've been there ever since. Would you say that anything about your childhood or like grade school led you to become an engineer? I think I um, always excelled at uh, math and science. And so, uh, and that, even at an early age, and I was always good at uh, those those two things. I was good at taking things apart, putting them back together. Um, I was also a science fiction fan, and so engineering uh, just seemed like a, a natural fit to me. Do you feel like you remember anything growing up about 
like sustainability or like resource conservation or like what is compost? Anything about nature? <laughs> you know, I guess I, I would not say specifically. Um, you know, my dad was is a gardener. I mean, he grew up um, on a farm in Barbados and um, he's always liked to grow his own vegetables. Um, I mean, he loves to grow uh, tomatoes. Um, so, uh, you know, that's one of the things that he, I always remember that he had tomatoes growing in his backyard. Um, I wouldn't say that I've uh, really picked up that green thumb from him. Um, but uh, I do, I still remember him, uh, you know, teaching me how to ride a bike when I was like five or six years old. And, you know, I've, I've always had a bike as a kid um, from, you know, from that time to high school. Um, I rode a bike all the time, rode a bike to school. Um, when we, when I went to school in Buffalo, um, I rode a bike between campuses. Um, um, I rode a bike everywhere. I was kind of known for riding a bike, uh, everywhere between campuses. Um, so I've always had a bike and kind of rode it wherever I went. Um, even now in North Carolina, I used to, I mean, I used to ride it to work and, um, you know, uh, 45, 50 minutes each way, um, uh, riding to work and back home. Uh, I think eventually it just kind of became a bit of a hassle. And as I was getting older, um, it just seemed like it was a lot of preparation to do every day to get to work, uh, to get to work on the bike and back home on the bike and just uh, taking a shower at work and those types of things. So it just, just became um, a, bit, a bit of a hassle to do that. Um, and, and it became more of an inconvenience than a convenience. Do you ever look at your job as kind of trying to help reduce emissions from the perspective of climate change? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would say for sure. Um, part of my job, I mean, I work for a company called Cummins, um, and they are one of the largest uh, diesel, independent diesel engine manufacturers in the world. And uh, my job for them for the last 20 years has been uh, around emissions and emissions development and, and reducing emissions. And so um, Cummins has really been one of the leaders in that area. I mean, uh, we have always helped give give an input to the government when it comes to emissions regulations and policies and, and what's achievable. And I think you always uh, we've always pushed the limits in terms of technology that it takes to drive emissions improvements. Um, so again, over the last uh, 20 years, I've worked on different technologies that we would consider to, that would help um, what we would consider to be gas guzzlers uh, to reduce their emissions output. And uh, when you see a, a truck uh, from years ago that would, uh, when you see that truck pull off, uh, you would see a huge cloud of smoke um, and come out from the exhaust and from the stack of that truck. And we've worked really hard over the last um, 10, 15, 20 years uh, to reduce that amount of smoke and emissions um, uh, considerably. Um, the particulate matter that comes out of the truck is one of the things that um, not only harms the environment, but also harms, you know, the hum human beings in the lungs. And so uh, and that generates some of the smog that you would see, you know, in California. Um, and so, like I said, over the last uh, 20 years or so, we have done a tremendous amount to reduce that, to reduce greenhouse gases. Uh, we've really we've worked really hard to reduce that by about 90 to 95 percent. And um that's been really a big uh, piece of my of my job is to uh, make sure that we um, comply to all the emissions regulations, and that um, that we the technologies that we use are the most robust and, rel and reliable and uh, do 
do do what we say that they do in terms of uh, meeting uh, those emissions levels. Wow, that's a lot. Do you do you feel like you do you talk about climate change in your daily life? Does it come up outside of work? I wouldn't say that um, climate change comes up um, outside of work very much in my kind of day to day discussions outside of work. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I talk about it with you um, only because you are so, uh, the environment is so important to you. Um, but from my perspective, I mean, I know that obviously climate change is a real thing. And uh, you see the impact of it um, with the crazy weather that we have and just the, uh, the severity of uh, the types of storms that we have, uh, whether it's, um, you know, heat waves or, you know, incredibly cold temperatures or big snowstorms. You see those impacts and those types of things. I mean, you look at um, just today, um, England is having the highest uh, temperature that they've ever seen in their recorded uh, 350 years of, of record keeping. Um, so I do understand the impacts, um, but I don't necessarily talk about it on a daily basis. Um, I know it, I know it's happening. Um, I know it's real. Like on a personal level, do you feel connected to climate change? Um, I guess what do you, what do you mean by that? Like you kind of just said that like outside of work, you know, it doesn't really come up or other than like talking to me or experiencing weather. So I guess you on a day to day, do you ever like get climate anxiety? Do you ever think about like societal impacts or do you feel like you can just live your daily life and not think about it? There's no wrong answer. Just. I can't really say that I have um, anxiety about um, climate change. Um, it's not something that I think about, about in my daily life. Um, and it's not something that I worry about because I, I believe um I believe that eventually we're we're going to uh, we're going to fix it. Um, I don't think we've crossed the threshold um, to where it's irreversible or anything like that. And um, I'm optimistic. I guess I'm an optimistic person uh, that eventually uh, we'll create the policies and the technologies. Uh, and we're creating the technologies that it takes to to get there. Anything else you feel like you want to say about growing up or sustainability or climate change or anything like that? Like I um, said previously, Alex, um, I think I'm optimistic um, about the future when it comes to um, sustainability and climate change. Um, I think we'll figure things out. Um, I think we will do what we need to do in order to uh, ensure that this planet survives. And, um, you know, that if you decide to have kids uh, one day, that it's going to be a, a place, a sustainable place for them to live, an environmentally friendly place for for them to live and you know if you know um, your kids my grandkids um i, I feel like uh, their future will be uh, will be okay uh, like i said i think we'll get there uh, with conscientious people like yourself um you guys are definitely uh, inspirations um and motivated to uh to make sure that um the governments of this world do the right thing and that um you know you're taking action all the time to ensure that um, you know, the world is a better place. And so I'm very proud of you um, for doing those things and for the, you know, the career path that, that you've chosen, the sustainability side of things, because uh, at the end of the day, you are definitely making an impact on the world and making the world a better place. So I'm very proud of you uh, for what you do. And um, I love you uh, tremendously. Um, and I couldn't be more proud of uh, the woman that you have 
become and uh, what you do. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, I love you. Love you too, sweetie. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. The generational differences between my grandfather, dad, and myself are so fascinating to me. All of us grew up in completely different countries and environments. My grandfather touched on it briefly, but his immigration to London in the 60s is part of what's known as the Windrush generation. The UK actively recruited Commonwealth citizens to the mainland to fill gaps in their labor pool. There's a lot of controversy surrounding how this happened and how they've been treated recently, but I won't touch on that right now. My grandfather's childhood on an island with family land rooted him in the physical connection to the earth, while my dad's childhood as an urbanite in London and Queens in the 80s pushed him to the technical side of it all. While we may not always agree, I love that our varied perspectives come together to create a more holistic view on climate change and what the potential solutions are. The positive reconnection I've had with my grandpa is similar to what our society needs. A reconnection to the land and how we spend our time. Throughout this season of Heirloomed, you'll hear my grandfather and I discuss gardening, water, community, and so much more. If your grandparents have sustainability advice, or if you're an elder and you want to speak on this podcast, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. This episode was recorded, edited, and produced by me, Alexandra Thompson. Immense gratitude to my grandfather, Victor Thompson, for sharing his wisdom with the world, and my father, Alan Thompson, for joining us. This podcast is made possible by Brick, who presents and incubates new work that reflects the diversity that surrounds us. Brick is building Brooklyn's creative future. Learn more at brickartsmedia.org.